0: Greetings ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the You Can Do It Too podcast by Mamba and I am Mamadou Balde, I am your host. The purpose of this podcast is to both showcase black excellence and increase awareness of the multitude of career possibilities out there for up-and-coming black professionals. This podcast will assist in breaking stigmas, barriers and helping black students believe that they are smart enough to be future doctors, engineers educators and entrepreneurs great day amazing people it is my honor to welcome today an amazing guest with us dr smith she's an internist or also called internal medicine doctor here in the united states who has been in practice for more than 20 years dr mahalia smith is affiliated with multiple hospitals in the Houston area, including Memorial Hermann and Clear Lake Regional Medical Center. She's originally from Trinidad to Tobago. She did her undergrad at Howard University. She did her medical school and residency and fellowship at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston. Thank you so much for, uh, for giving me your time. I know you are busy.
1: Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I, this is something I really love to do.
0: Definitely. How's everything going right now? Are you, you working from home or do you, are you
1: still seeing patients? I'm doing both. I'm doing okay. both. Um, uh, so I go in two days a week and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm working from home um, the other days. Okay. I do some Cali medicine.
0: Okay. okay, I know you are uh, an uh, an, an uh, internal medicine physician, mm-hmm.
1: right? So I was trained in internal medicine, but, um, excuse me, I was trained in internal medicine, but mm-hmm. I practice wound care, hyperbaric okay. medicine, and lymphedema management.
0: Okay, okay. Could you tell us a little bit about what that consists of, what that job consists
1: of? Okay, so um, starting with wound care. Um, I take care of patients who have wounds that are difficult to heal. It can be surgical wounds. Um, Most commonly, it's diabetic foot ulcers um, because people with diabetes um, have a lower immune system and um, their wounds take longer to heal. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Or it could be... um, ulcers venous ulcers for people who've had varicose veins or who have problems with their venous system or um, arterial ulcers people who have problems with their blood flow particularly people who smoke and a lot, a lot of times people with diabetes so yes um, from hyperbaric medicine standpoint um, we can use hyperbaric medicine um, uh, to treat a number of different uh, conditions um, The Undersea and Hyperbaric Medical Society has about 14 conditions uh, that we used to treat. Most commonly, um, we use it for wound healing. Um, We're also a 24-7 emergency center for uh, divers who um, come up too quickly, who surface too quickly and get the bends, Um, so that's decompression illness. Um, Also for People who have com- carbon monoxide poisoning. So that is if uh, there's a house fire or sometimes it, when it's cold, people use generators inside the house and this can cause uh, problems. And, um, you know, um, what's called um, sudden vision loss because of a blockage in one of the blast vessels to the eye. So those are just like three of them. Lymphedema um, is often misdiagnosed or undiagnosed and um, it's a problem with the flow of the lymph vessels. Uh, Part of the blood is transported in lymph vessels and those vessels contain the cells that fight and and the proteins also that fight infection and um, it's a high protein uh, transport system. When there's a blockage, people's legs Uh, and most times their legs or even their arms um, can become swollen and um, you know outside the united states you see it more if there's a salarial worm that blocks it and you know people call it elephantitis so the legs or the limb looks like it's uh, you know it's thick and leathery like an elephant Um, here, here we see it quite a bit with people who have had mastectomies and the lymph nodes have been taken out. So the lymph nodes are little factories that make all the proteins and put out the cells and mature the cells that would fight infection.
0: Wow, that's amazing. That's definitely. So you, I know you, you grew up in Trinidad and Tobago. Yes. Right. Do you remember what age you came to the United States?
1: Yes, I was 21.
0: 21, so for college.
1: Yes, I came for what? college.
0: Wow, that's amazing! So you grew up basically in Trinidad and Tobago. That's where you know. How was growing up there? Like you know,
1: I I loved growing up in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, it's two islands, one country. Um, what I loved about it is that um. We were taught to dream big. Wow. Um, and because you know my teachers looked like me my dentists, my doctors you know they're all people of color the president was the prime minister was a person of color the announcers of the radio and and the TV were people of color so I never felt that my color could limit me so when we were growing up we would be outside playing games because they always say go outside and play and we would pretend to be astronauts or we pretend wow. to be doctors. Or, and you, you, you could be anything you wanted to be in, in those games, you know? Wow. Um, I, I think one of my, I was thinking about this, um, you know, in terms of talking to you, and I thought about one of my drives for wanting to be excellent. I remember, you know, sometimes we'd be outside playing and, you know, we'd draw math in the sand and you know um and when we got to the point when we had to remember you know around 11 we started learning the area of a triangle formula and you know those formulas and we'd write it in the sand and one person will say we'll start the formula and then the next person with you know and I, and I remember if i got to the point where i didn't know I'd go home and ask my brothers and sisters to come back. And, you know, first thing, it be like, okay, let's play that game again today, you know, because wow. now I knew. So there was always this sense of a, a friendly competition. And um, we, we all had to read. Um, you know, that was just expected. Um, during the summer, you had to read a lot. Um, and um, that really spurred me on. Uh, to be honest with you, um, education, our, our prime, prime minister pushed education a lot. And the whole culture was about education. That was the ticket out we all, you know, that was always your ticket. Um, so um, we had preschool. Uh, and I went to preschool earlier. Usually preschool started at three, but
2: wow.
1: I was singing a song on the radio. And apparently, I was about two and a half. My mother said, oh, so you could sing that? Well, then you could learn your ABCs. And her friend on the same street ran a preschool. Um, And they put me in there. And I remember, I cried. I hated it. I remember hating it. I remember not liking it. But, But the thing is, we had these little slates then chalk and you learned to write your name so by the time you were five that you went to elementary school you could count you know you wow. know how to count um, you knew how to write your first name um and you knew how to spell some three-letter words like cat and mat you know and um, so by the time i got to Uh, elementary school I was smart (laughs) because that was the goal all the parents put their kids in because they wanted them to be so um, and it's I don't think it's because I was you know anywhere different it's just that I uh, grew up with older siblings my oldest sibling is 20 years older than I am and when you have that kind of stimulation around you as a child you know you you, you grow and you you, you try to to match
0: you want to push and yes. that's the, that that exactly that's that level of exposure right you had that exposure growing up and it's mm-hmm. like wow it was easy for you to just climb in and just try to work hard on that but so many connecting to that here in the united states so many children in underserved uh, communities right are not exposed to that right. uh, growing up and for at the young age, they are exposed to sports, they are exposed to music, so they grow up wanting to be uh, sports, being sports, right? Wanting to be music. But I really feel like, as you said, if they are exposed to like, counting, right, they are exposed to reading books, they would more like to want to be in, in that area growing up.
1: I agree. And I think, um, you know, for us, like I said, education was seen as the way out. For most of them, sports and entertainment seems to be the way out. But I would encourage um, to dream any dream you have um, and to, to read because I think reading opens your mind and takes you to places that you couldn't otherwise go. Yes, ma'am. Um, it really does
0: yes ma'am it's evident so growing up what kind of what was the family structure like what kind of family did you grow up in like were your parents always on you to keep studying or did they lead by action and or both
1: it was always go and pick up a book (laughs) if you were walking around the house doing nothing or try to get it to if you weren't actively outside play on doing something if you looked like you were bored and you didn't dare say you were bored because they would say go and pick up a book
0: go, go read. Really, go do something yes,
1: yes. and uh so and 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 oftentimes um you know they would ask what are you reading uh tell me the story um so you couldn't just sit and pretend not to read because you'd be asked What's the story about? And if the story was about a girl in India or something, go, okay, where's India? Can you find India on in a map? So, wow. it, you know, just these questions. And, um, and then, you know, in a sentence. and sometimes I used to think it's just, you know, they're just trying to uh, ask the questions because they're doing something, cooking or doing something while they're asking, that, you know, they're just asking just for conversation. But I realized it was also, now as, as a parent, I realized it was also to stimulate that sense of...
0: curiosity, exposure. wanting to learn, yeah. Yeah. So definitely, so, so from an early age, you were motivated to learn, and you also mentioned that you were exposed to little lot of uh, adults who were in medicine, engineering, and professional jobs. But yeah. when exactly did you know that you wanted to be a doctor? was that something that was sparked that was sparked early on or is it later that you figured it out
1: no it was sparked early on i was about eight years old um and um a friend uh who was my age um was telling me about this um missionary doctor dr livingston who traveled down the river in africa and was treating people um and of course, I wanted to know more about what and I wanted to know more about Africa and you know why was he going down the river, and you know all of that so I started reading, and I thought, I would like to do that one day i want I want to go somewhere I want to be a doctor I want to do that I want to help people and I would look um. As I would walk, uh, I would look and I, sometimes I would see people, uh, I remember now that I have no lymphedema, there was a, a woman who walked in our street and she had these big thick legs and I would ask my mother well, what's wrong with her and she would say, uh, she's sick. You know, like, you know, don't ask, don't look, yeah, don't stare, of kind of thing. And I I would wonder what's wrong. So then I I just got the habit of being observant. And um, I would see people who had what turns out now to be ulcers, um, you know, in the the tropics or things on their skin that were different. And I was always curious. And my sister used to have a home medicine book, just a health book um, that she got from England somewhere. Um, she, She had it uh mailed and i would read and my older sister um liked reading a a magazine called psychology today so i would read i would read that too and I, i would just read and i was like okay so all these people are doctors what are doctors and i started questioning my mother about how do you become a doctor and you know those things and she was always encouraging Well, actually, one other thing my mother did, um, and uh, she would, um, on the weekend, you know, have a live fowl, they would kill it, and then she would cut it, you know, take off the feathers and cut it open and everything. And Mm -hmm. when she cut it, she would call me over and show me, and she said, this is the stomach, and she would show me everything. And sometimes the hens will actually have the eggs before it was hatched you know you know they got ahead and it fascinated me so that stimulated my love for science i was like is that what, what we that? look like at the inside is that what our stuff was <laughs>
0: that's powerful that's
1: powerful
0: <laughs> this podcast is about showcasing black professionals who are doing excellent things but what is the definition of black excellence
1: taking what you have and making the best of it
3: can achieve things when literally like the whole entire system is designed like in ways that are like is designed to exclude us.
1: It doesn't matter what you start out with, it matters where you go. And then when you go, you're not going just for you. You're going to lead the way of someone else.
3: It means excelling at a high level while staying true to yourself and true to yourself in your black we still are able to you know just like go the extra mile or you know carry the extra weight that we need to carry just because of society and still achieve the things that we're able to achieve
1: and pay it forward that's my definition of back excellence
0: to the united states uh, and decided to go to howard university and yeah. many people will ask you what did you have to sacrifice to come to the united states but coming from guinea uh also and uh, having the opportunity to come to the united states i would say how happy were you first of all
1: <laughs> oh, um, well i was very happy for several reasons um one my brother was already at howard he was finishing up his master's degree in engineering okay okay and I had several cousins, my first cousins who were at Howard, at least five of them. And, um, the connection with Howard was that the prime minister of our country had actually studied. He, he got his PhD at Howard. So, uh, it, you know, so, it, so that kind of what was the connection. So I was extremely happy to come there because I, I would know people, I had family. Uh, <laughs> I had also, um, uh, at age 11, um, we have an exam in order to go to public high school. Uh, you had to, so it's the reverse of what it is here. You have had to pass an exam to get free public education. So wow. I passed it um, for one of the top schools in my area. Uh, my one, number one choice actually. Mm-hmm. And as a gift, my, mother and my aunt who uh, was at the time living in New York um, gave me the gift of coming to America because I really wanted to do that you know i had been reading so much and my aunt who was my favorite aunt she was living in New York and she'd come home to visit and tell all these stories and you know that gave me the desire to travel you know wow and um so I knew that I wanted to go abroad because a lot of people in my country, you know, were going abroad after they finished high school, they were going abroad to college. So I sort of always knew that. And after when I took that trip at age 11, I knew I, the exposure that this, this, this country was different from mine.
0: Yes, yeah, um, Especially New York.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't really like it that, something's that much you know how close everything was the houses yeah. stuck together you know yeah. um it was just different and uh but i liked uh you know going downtown the skyscrapers the things that i was not used to
0: definitely definitely i remember when i landed when we left guinea for the first time Europe was this first city we landed it was like wow like it was the first time I see these tall buildings I'm like wow this is a different city I felt intimidated at first definitely yeah so what was that experience like at Howard I know Howard is a majority black is a black university and but you the black people at Howard usually have different culture than you right there are some people from also abroad, but not Trinda-Tobago. But how did you, how was your first experience there? How did you connect with the students at school?
1: Well, it was a very interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, the Caribbean community, there was a, a really big Caribbean community and a very big African community. Um, and um, it was very nice intermingling. Um, it took me a while to integrate into the American community um, because, of the, and these were only a few people, but uh, sometimes people would say things to me like, um, oh, you're from Trinidad, uh, so you were living in a tree? What was it like when you saw your first car? I was like, I don't know. They brought me home from the hospital in a car, so I don't. Remember seeing my first car, <laughs> and I said, "Oh, so so, what did you think about telephones?" I'm like, "Well, I had a telephone growing up, and the number was, you know, I still remember the number to this day." And um, and so it, you know, I, I was thinking, what, 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 "Where are you getting this from?" <laughs> yeah, where are
0: you assuming?
1: <laughs> yeah, what? And um. Uh, 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 and so it, it, so I, I sort of was hesitant in the beginning because the first few people I met were so were asking these questions that took me back like, really? <laughs> because yeah. remember, I was a reader. So I knew about other countries and other places. And so I was surprised I was meeting people at a university who had no concept of what my country was like. Um, you know, it's... So it, it, it took a while to kind of see that everybody's different, but still nice. And I learned to appreciate that difference and why the difference. Because if you understand why people are the way they are, then you're more willing to uh, appreciate them and respect them and actually take some of what's good out of their culture and incorporate it into yours. Definitely. Definitely. That's interesting. Definitely. So you moved
0: from Washington, D.C. to Texas for medical no. school?
1: <laughs> no. I moved from Washington, D.C. to be an analytical chemist with an oil company in Cleveland.
0: Wow. And
1: I, yeah. And then I spent uh, two years in Cleveland, and then I transferred to the production side of the company in Dallas. Okay. Okay. And while I was there... I decided to apply to medical school, which is what I had been wanting to do for a long, long time. Wow. So you took a break and then, okay. What yeah. was your major in college by the way? Chemistry.
0: Chemistry. Okay. So you, you took a job as a chemist. Yes. And then you still push it. Okay. Wow. After two years.
1: Yeah. So I want to encourage people because, um, in college, uh, after about my second year, second or third year, I got married mm-hmm. and then I had a, uh, and then a year later, I, a little more than a year later, I had a son. And I finished college. And I say that to people who think, well, you know, I can't do this and I can't do that. Yes, you can. Um, yes. You know, so I had a son. So then I worked um, and my husband um, worked too in Cleveland. And then we transferred. I transferred and um, during that time, you know, I would over, even when I was in Cleveland, I would get medical school applications and then throw it in the trash and think, I can't go. I have a kid, blah, blah, blah. And one day he said to me, so you're going to get to 40 and wonder what if you have.
0: Wow. And
1: he said, Why don't you just apply and see what happens? Because you keep reading about all this medicine. You keep talking all this medicine. Just apply so i did when i was in dallas and lo and behold i got invited to several interviews
0: wow that's powerful
1: and um you know it's, it's a funny thing i think i was hesitating because i deep down inside i didn't think i was smart enough um because um you know i was thinking i'm in america i'm foreign uh, you know, you, you add all these barriers that don't really amount to much in the long run, but you see them and you think they're barriers. You sort of listen to what everybody's saying, you know. It's hard to get into medical school. It's hard if you're black. It's hard if you're foreign. It's hard, And all those things are true, but that should never stop you from trying. Mm-hmm. You know? It just shouldn't because you don't know how that door is going to open for you. It may not open for somebody else, but it may open for you. So I did apply and I got in and I actually did well. Well, there's more to the story. By the time I started medical school, and I don't say this in any other way but than to help someone. I had had two kids, my son, was the youngest was just nine months old and the strangest thing is when i because i interviewed pregnant and i also didn't think i would get in Mm. but the day i interviewed um one of the um the medical students who was taking me on the tour said do you know so and so i said no he said and so and so and i said no He said, because they interviewed too, and they're pregnant, you know? Um, He said, so it's all three of you. So we all started together, sure enough. And we all our kids, have birthdays just a few days apart. So we started, so that was, one was from Jamaica and one was from Nigeria. So we had a sort of camaraderie, you know? Wow. uh, And then my last child was actually born in the fourth year of medical school. So I say to anybody out there, even if you had kids, and I was older than my classmates, because most of my classmates were in their 20s and and in their 20s, you know, 18 to 20 something. And I was a, a little older than that. You know, I was on the other side of that, <laughs> I was around the, wow. the 30th line. So I say this to say, whatever barriers that you think you have, push through, you know. Um, it, it's it's going to take you to push through. Everybody else will tell you about all the barriers that they are. And they'll tell you, oh, you're going to medical school with kids. I can't believe. Um, but just knowing that there were two other people who were pregnant, too, who I interviewed, that helped me. I hadn't yeah. met them yet. But. I, that helped me. Um, and you really find a nice place in knowing when, when you need to rest, when you need to stop, when you need to push harder, you, you learn what's right for you. And it's not going to be what's right for everybody else.
0: Definitely. That is so powerful. And there's no doubt that you, you, you had what it takes. You guys had experienced so many stuff that gave you, uh, I think, even more power to go to medical school, but how hard was it to, uh, for the studying, be, being working for two years, three years, and then going back to studying again all the time. How hard was that transition initially?
1: It was very tough. It was tough. Um, but the thing that encouraged me was when I, asked my college professors with my three favorite college professors recommendation. Each one of them said in some form or fashion, it's about time. I'm glad you came to your senses and going to medical school. And you know that you should have done this a long time ago. And having that support um, really helped me. Um, I, I just felt that. Okay, they thought I could do it.
0: This podcast is about showcasing black professionals who are doing excellent things. But what
3: is the definition of black excellence?
1: Taking what you have and making the best of it.
3: Can achieve things when literally like the whole entire system is designed like in ways that are like is designed to exclude us.
1: It doesn't matter what you start out with. It matters where you go. And then when you go, you're not going just for you. You're going to lead the way for someone else.
3: It means excelling at a high level while staying true to yourself and true to yourself and your black. We still are able to, you know, just like go the extra mile or, you know, carry the extra weight that we need to carry just because of society. And still achieve the things that we're able to achieve. And
1: paying it forward. That's my definition of back excellence.
0: Definitely. So, throughout your life, you have worked so hard to go through multiple doors, right? Could yeah. you talk about your experience about some doors you walked in and did not feel welcome? What kept you going? <laughs>
1: okay. So, um, I worked in Cleveland. I was the only minority in my group. Um, mm-hmm. it was an opportunity for me, but culturally it was very different. Mm-hmm. Um, there was nothing overt. Uh, I, I think uh, I couldn't say that I was treated overtly badly or anything but you 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 know you're there and you're working but the culture is just so different Definitely. Uh, and the expectations are different um, so I learned something And like I said, because of the background I came, the country I came out of, I remember one of uh, the other minorities in the company, and there were very few of us, came to me one day and said, I heard your group doesn't accept you. Now, this was news to me um, because I was not looking for acceptance. Mm -hmm. And I felt, you know, I was young for the vinegar. And he said, I heard your group doesn't accept you. And I said, they don't need to accept me. I'm not a terminal disease. <laughs> and he looked at me like, you know, he was just like, you know, what? And I said, I don't need them to accept me. I just need to be able to do my job. To me, that was not a, a route to be accepted.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, take me or leave me. Exactly. But I think that comes from from growing up in an environment where you are you and and you you don't
0: feel insecure
1: yes yeah so um so it it, so but then i transferred to the production side of the company and whoa
0: (laughs) it was worse
1: (laughs) whoa um i had a review and you know i even in cleveland i had all done well when i was wanted to transfer to, to dallas they they tried to do everything to keep me you know you know you could go to case western you know finish do your masters at case western we would you know the company would reimburse you you know all of that stuff they wanted to keep me and i got to the dallas group and i got this very mediocre um uh, evaluation and i looked at my boss and I said and he had come from the British side of the company and he I said why is and he said, if you were truly a scientist, you wouldn't believe in God. And that's what he said to me. And I was like, Okay. And there would be comments um from the other males in the and I was the um only minority scientists and there was one other geochemist, uh, she's female, and um, we were friends, but she, she was white. Um, and we would hear comments like, you know, women should be barefooted and pregnant. And, you know, we, you hear all these comments, not overtly at us, but it would be in the air. It yeah. will be there. And at that point, I had already known that I was going to apply for medical school, mm-hmm. so I had already sent in my application. In fact, one of the um, the guys in, in 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 another part of the group had sent sent him, he had gotten accepted to Case Western mm-hmm. uh, Medical School, and he was going to do his MD PhD and um when i was congratulating him i said you know that's something i would like to do he said why don't you
2: mm. and
1: that's when i had applied so i had already applied so by the time i so when i got that evaluation i thought hmm. and then i was pregnant with my second child and they you know the comments and the you know you know it's like you know if you're pregnant you, you could not be thinking scientifically, kind of, you know, yes. that those kind of comments were there. And I thought, hmm, I'm not going to tell them I'm applying to medical school. So I applied and I got accepted. And it was the same time they were downsizing the group. Mm. And of course, you know, my name was on the downsized list. But wow. the benefit of it was because I, my name was on the, there was funds for retraining in a field other than what we were doing. So medicine applied. So I got the money. Yeah. Um, plus I got my severance package. So good for me. Right? <laughs> um, so I think even in adversity, there's sometimes silver linings that you can take. I'm glad for the current climate we're in now where um, people are more um, open and um, people are more aware of the microaggressions and um, systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you have to to recognize that this exists and that you can't wait for people to give you permission to be successful. You have to try to find your own path to success. Because the system is not set up to push you along. Um, When I interviewed for medical school, at one medical school I interviewed, uh, the interviewer said to me, oh, you know, your grades are pretty high for a Black. And I thought, hmm, I am not going here. Uh, so I chose another. I, I chose something another school as my first choice, and I could say I love that school. Wow! I
0: that, that is. I, I'm not
1: saying that there weren't problems, but.
0: Wow! That is that is um, that is crazy because, that's a story that so many I, I heard so many minority students talking about, especially African American. Like, wow! You speak so well for a
2: black, Yes,
1: uh, microaggression
0: yeah oh wow your hair looks it's those microaggressions that and sometimes you it's lack of knowledge sometimes they don't even know that's what they're saying uh is making impact but one thing i always say why don't they put themselves in the same situation as the other person and if we are the one who are giving those comments how would they feel
1: you know it's i think to be honest, it's hard for them to put themselves in our situation because they have no concept. They have nothing to relate to. They don't know what it feels like to be oppressed or, or to feel that pressure. Um, for instance, um, if I show up late for a meeting, it's my race. If they show up late, it's just like John is always late or Jim is always late or Nancy's always late. Yes, it's their individual. So they don't have a sense of that pressure of carrying their race on their shoulder, you know? Um, And um, you know, I have white friends and I was talking to one recently, um, especially after George Floyd's death. And I know I was telling him, there were so many triggers for me because my kids have been stopped, you know, when they borrow my car, when they were teenagers and they drove my car, they were stopped all the time. And I said, so, you know, I said, I had to always tell my kids if they if they get stopped, don't make eye contact, don't, you know, keep their hands <laughs> above the steering wheel, don't make any sudden movement. And I said, I, you know, it, it, when when their voice changed and was trying try not to keep their, their voice too low, their pitch you know, raise their pitch a little higher because a black man with with a deep voice is a threat. And he said, I had no idea. No, he didn't have a concept of that. No one has ever had to tell him that in his entire life. Wow. So even if he wanted to put himself in my place as a parent, it would, He's never. He, he would never even dream of telling a, a kid that,
0: you wow. know? Wow. So, you, this, the same experience you had in Cleveland, uh, when you were working at Cleveland, the, that culture, as far as the masculine culture, those uh, little comments that that you have experienced, you. does that exist in the world that you work in right now as a physician?
1: Oh, yes. You cannot escape it. It is there. It is there a lot. And it's not escapable. Wow. But I would, I would say to all out there, you have to find your place and know your place. I know I have said things in meetings. I have said out emails saying X, Y, and Z would be a good idea. This is the plan we should do, blah, blah, blah. No response or, you know, n- not, not, not the support I would expect. But somebody else who's male or white or male will come along and say the same thing a couple of months later. That's a great idea. What a plan. You, you know, it happens. It really does happen. And it happens in subtle, different ways, you know? Um, and sometimes it's, it happens overtly. And you, you find yourself in, I think sometimes in a gaslight uh, position of, is it because it's me? Or is it just like it's the right time now that they're ready to do this? Or is it uh, just that they think that that person is more capable of moving it forward? So you, you never know, and you're in this, world of questioning yourself uh is it is it is it and that's not good for you that's not good for anybody wow. and you have to fight that because one of these experiences built on another and another and another and another makes you go well maybe i didn't Or maybe i should have and maybe i in you know, that's Maybe kind of... Maybe I shouldn't be here. <laughs> yes! You know? And it's... it's the, and, and people have left. I mean, I, I, I've i had people who saw, uh, in some ways, and certain situations, how I was treated and said, Oh, you know, that was your idea a long time ago. They didn't respect you. Why are you still here? You should leave and, I said, and go where? And find what?
0: Exactly. same
1: thing. Yeah.
0: And if we, if we always leave, if we always get away from the situation, it we, will never fix it, right?
1: Exactly. But you're going to find the same thing because it's systemic and it's there. Exactly. And whether people want to recognize it or not, regardless of what race or, or ethnicity they are or, or sex, gender, however you want to describe it, they are. It's there,
0: definitely. And that, that type of culture it takes a big toll on your mental health, right? And uh, one of the biggest code I heard not not a long time ago is, whenever whenever the cost of your success is higher than you expected, you get away from it, right?
2: Uh-huh.
0: And sometimes this really take a big toll on your mental health, right? And it leads to many other consequences. How do you self-care in, in this kind of world? How do you take care of yourself, make sure you don't go to. crazy?
1: For me, my faith in Christ is the biggest uh, factor um, because I could look at all of these situations and I could look and, uh, and to fix them on my own. And um, you know, blame people and situations. But when I look, uh, for instance, it's something I say, especially when times were rough at work. Uh, I am here by God's grace. He brought me here. He will let me know when it's time to leave. Yeah. Um, um, I also say I don't work for this organization. I know who I work for. So I'm going to make the decisions that I am comfortable with that I could live with at night. Sometimes, you know, you're put in positions where you have to make decision or, 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 or led to make decisions that benefit a certain group, institution, et cetera. But those decisions, and you know, people will tell you that who work in the financial, who work at engineering, whatever. But those decisions don't set well with you. So for self-care, you have to know who you are and what you're willing to do. Sometimes it's a compromise. You have to compromise. But when it gets to the point where you no longer can recognize you, or you're, you're at the point where you're beginning to not recognize you, mm-hmm. that's the time.
0: To walk away.
1: Yes. Skin. That's it.
0: Definitely. Definitely. And, uh... So I'm a great believer that there is no, there's no bad mistake. There's no, there's no bad mistake if you really take the time to learn from it and uh, take a lesson out of it.
2: I was gonna ask you, <laughs>
0: what, is, uh, what is the greatest mistake you ever made? Meaning that what mistake that gave you the biggest lesson that really helped you over your career? I, th-
1: I think my biggest mistake was not recognizing who i am and what my gifts really are i think if i had known uh, if i had really known i would have there are things i would have done i would have gone to medical school earlier for one thing uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily a mistake because i think the path through chemistry really helped me because the stuff i was able to resist and 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 develop the growth i had in like i know who i am it doesn't matter what you say i am i'm not barefooted i might be pregnant but i'm not barefooted. Yeah. that helped me in medical school um because again i was thrown into an, an, an environment where at times when you get to the when at least the way it was when i came through you got to the third and fourth year it was all subjective, you were on a team, people were competing, it was very competitive. So people, you know, so that you, you would hear these comments and these microaggressions, like, you want to be a dermatologist? Because at first I wanted to do dermatology because of what I was seeing at home. Um, but then when I got interviewed and I realized my interviews were in cities outside of Houston and I would have, to go from living in a house with a backyard to living in an apartment in a, in a, in, a, in another city with my kids, I thought, do, do I really want this that much to put them through that when I love medicine as well? Yes. So I'm glad I did that because now I get a bit, I still do skin, <laughs> you see? <laughs> see? So if if you keep pushing and God will work it out, you know, yes. I'm still involved in skin.
0: Definitely, definitely. So, wow. That, that's an amazing story. So every story is unique, but your story is magnificent, coming from uh, Trinidad and Tobago as a young girl with a dream, right and deciding to do everything to to do to follow it and do something you love. and I think medicine to pursue medicine is honorable, right? You are doing it I mean it may it may pay well, but you are really going through a lot of years of training to help people for the rest of your life, right? right. So, and that's a motivation that kept you going. I'm wondering, what, what would make you, what wake you up every day? What motivates you to rise every day and answer your calling?
1: It is truly my calling. And I tell people, yeah. I will do this in a tent or in a palace. I love what I do. I love what I do and I love who I do it for. A lot of my patients are not wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um a good proportion of them are minority. A lot of them are elderly. They are the least of these, you know? And I remember, you know, the Bible says that what you do for the least of these you do for me. Wow. That's my motivation. Everything
0: that you have been going through, right? not giving up, but also making sure you're doing the right thing, overcoming obstacles, kicking in doors, and trying to do everything you can to follow your dream. That's black excellence. And there are so many definitions of black excellence. What is your definition of black excellence?
1: My definition of black excellence is taking what you have and making the best of it and paying it forward. That's my definition of back excellence. Wow. It doesn't matter what you start out with, it matters where you go. And then when you go, you're not going just for you, you're going to lead the way for someone else.
0: Wow. Thank you so much, Dr. Smith, for giving me your time. This was amazing. Amazing interview, amazing story.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I love being able to do this. May the Black Queen's grace
0: continually mesmerize The millions who couldn't see it when looking into her eyes the Black man's plight no longer be the disguise Oppression, emasculation, they want to castricize I just want to be me, I just want to be free I just want liberty, equity, and democracy I just want to believe in the good of society I just want to believe that they ain't been lying to me I want equality, want no more poverty I want people to tell you it's more Black people in jail for committing crimes The blacks and whites are committed equally. I want the corporate interests to crumble before my feet. I want them to stop selling your rights to powers that beat. I want a third term for Obama, we'll never see. No Democrat, no Republican, me, I want unity. I want the righteous voice speaking to my community. Don't listen to what they say and look at what they say to see. I want you to know the truth, but for that, you will have to see. All people are beautiful, but you best know my people are beautiful.